0: This is a good chance for all of you adults that really don't want to be here to sneak out. <laughs> might want to crawl, otherwise you might be more noticeable. Man, quite the heat wave, huh? That global warming, man. El Nino. <laughs> don't know what to do with it. My name's Evan. Evan. I'm a pastor down here with Rimrock Downtown. Before we get into studying God's Word, I really hope that's why you're here, I'll uh, go over a few announcements. Mainly, just going to focus on one thing there's an insert. So, the month of January, we looked at the core values, the mission, and the vision of Rimrock. This is what defines us. This is what makes us who we are. This is what prompts us to do what we want to do, how we operate day in, day out here collectively as a church. And if you missed it or you have a, chance, have a desire to know more about those, they're on our website. But what I want to focus on, really, is our vision, a community being transformed by Jesus. This is Rimrock as a whole's vision. If you flip it over, you'll see Rimrock Downtown's focus how we are going to try to accomplish this vision is through relationships. Relationships with God, with the church, and with those still seeking. From what I've found through thought and experience, prayer, Bible study, relationships are a crucial element through which God transforms lives. majority of what you'll hear from myself and Ben and Nick Chris, whoever's up here, is a motive, is a description of who God is, his character, and then encouragement for you to get to know him. The reason why we have uh, date night, community dinner, all these different ga- gatherings is so that way we can get to know one another, build our community, support one another. And you have endless ways to share, to create relationships with those still seeking, whether it's through the workplace, whether it's through your neighbors, just the people that surround you. And if you need a little bit more encouragement or a little bit more structure in that, if you look at the, the main bulletin, th- three opportunities down, you got an opportunity to serve others. It has Seth Molot's contact information. He is so well plugged in to various opportunities to serve here in Rapid City, and he has such a heart and a desire to do that. And so if you need a little bit more structure in reaching out to other people, contact Him. Really, from where we move from here on out, it's what we've already been doing, but you're going to just hear over and over and over all about relationships. How's your relationship with God? How are you pursuing Him? How's your relationship with people within this church? How's your relationship with people outside? I believe that through relationships, God has and will continue to just transform our lives and those around us. You know, we're starting a new series uh, tonight, and it's going to be a six-month-long series. It's a bit challenging for us millennials, isn't it? The instant gratification of a four-week series is not going to happen right now. But the reason we're doing this is because if you want to really get the true depth of what the Bible has to offer, you have to be willing to spend time digging into it. And so we're going to be looking at three chapters in the book of Matthew. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Otherwise known as the Sermon on the Mount. A big reason why we decided to go this direction is because Jesus lays out in very plain and simple ways, ways in which we can be transformed. Ways in which we individually can be transformed. Ways in which we can transform those around us. Ways in which God wants to use us and his spirit and Jesus to transform this world. So tonight we're going to start with a big chunk, Matthew 5, 1 and 2. It's obviously going to be a slow march. Before we get to that, we need a little context. So if you've got a Bible, please open it up, Matthew 4 and 5. If not, it'll be right behind me. So we need a little context before we get into uh, what people have referred to, the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus begins his teaching halfway through chapter 4 of Matthew. Brand new. Right? He's already been baptized, spent time in the wilderness, and then he comes out. And what we see right off the bat is him calling disciples. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So right off the bat, Jesus gets disciples. But his fame also begins to grow. Let's go to the next section. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Deglopolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan." So this had to be a really exciting time for Jesus and his disciples. He's setting out to let people know that the kingdom of God is near. That's Matthew 4.17. This is what we see in all of the Gospels. Jesus' goal of his ministry is to let people know that he is bringing something radically good from God. And it seems like people are excited about what he's doing. He has men that are willing to leave everything to follow him and crowds and crowds of people flocking to see him. But according to Matthew's account, all of this attention, specifically from the masses, is coming to Jesus primarily because of his power to heal. The people are coming in droves because Jesus has power over sickness and injury. They are not coming because of his wise words and intense biblical understanding. Rather, they are coming to him because they have heard he can end their physical suffering. And who wouldn't come running to somebody like that? But I believe the reason behind God's healing people is twofold. One, to bring them physical restoration. God is a healer. He wants to restore us physically. But even more so, to get their attention. I believe that Jesus was able to heal so many to show people that God was doing something new and altogether transformative in the world. It was not only to help them with their physical brokenness, it was a sign that something bigger was taking place. Let's keep looking at the story. Matthew 5.1 When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And what is he up to? For us, climbing a mountain means that we are seeking solitude, looking for a place that is pulled away from the hustle and bustle of normal life which is how some people read and interpret this passage. But man, from what I read from other passages and know about sound and geography, teachers would go up a mountain in order to be better heard. When one is elevated, sound travels much farther. You got to remember, they did not have a microphone and speakers. So I believe Jesus saw the crowds and their attraction to what God was doing, and he went up a mountain in order to teach them. Think about this, as a celebrated healer who is drawing large crowds from all over the country, why would you pull away from the one thing that is bringing you so much fame? Because Jesus' primary purpose was not to end physical suffering of his people or to grow in popularity, but rather it was to proclaim the gospel, to declare that God is bringing a transformative approach to life. You know, and Take a little rabbit trail in it to application, and this could be and someday will be a sermon in itself. But God has the ability to heal your physical brokenness, your sickness, your injuries, chronic pain. And he also has the ability to change your financial situation, to make you prosperous. And I imagine that he has done that in so many different ways for people throughout this room. Hopefully these miraculous encounters in healing and provision have shown you the reality of God, His power and His love for you. But your physical well-being and financial security are not God's primary objective. Therefore, if you assume that by being a Christian that you will not encounter hardships, then you will be painfully disappointed. Jesus promised that He came to give us life and life abundantly. John 10.10. 10. But the abundant life that he is referring to does not necessarily mean a life without pain and suffering. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't cry out to God in the midst of your hardship, asking him to bring you healing and provision. Because like I said, he is our healer and he is our provider. But from what I see in Matthew 4 and 5 and really the entire Old New Testament, God wants to bring us far more than physical and financial comfort. He wants to transform us at the deepest levels. If you want to talk more about that and why he allows us to go through suffering in order to be transformed, please come to me. I have verses, I have stories, and I'd love to hear what you're thinking on this. But for what we're looking at tonight, in order to be transformed, we have to move away from the hype and glamour of the flashy and listen to a message that is countercultural. Let's look at Matthew five, one and two, one more time. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying The important thing I want to notice from this these two verses is who came to listen to him speak. Disciples. It wasn't the crowds and their masses, the people who were looking for the miraculous or to watch the magic happen. It was his disciples. Now, disciples defined a learner, a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require. It's from a commentator. I'll read it one more time. A learner. A disciple, a follower of Jesus who learns the doctrines of Scripture and the lifestyle they require. Now this isn't just the 12. It was anyone who wanted to go deeper in their understanding of what God was bringing through Jesus. It was the people who saw something bigger going on than just the showmanship of the miraculous and the power of instant gratification. These were the ones that followed him away from the crowds, away from the sensationalism, so that way they could learn from the God of the Bible his plans for their lives with the intention of applying his teaching, living them out, creating a lifestyle that is in line with their creator's plan for their lives. same is true for us. If we want to experience God in more than just one or two miraculous events throughout our lives, we must do the same thing. Be willing to pull away from the spectacular and flashy and simply sit before God with a willingness to listen, learn, and apply. How often do you do that? Remove distractions, phone, computer, TV, people, and intentionally come before God through prayer, meditation, reading the Bible, worship? How often do you purposely pull away from our vices of instant gratification in order to better understand the God of the Bible's plan for your life? In order to hear someone, you must stop and listen. Now, this is really obvious, but let me give you an analogy. Anybody ever tried to get your kids' attention? Say something to them so they actually hear it? For me, I must see their eyes. Because I can tell them it a hundred times, but if they're not looking at me, it just ricochets continually off their skull. But if I get their eyes, there's a good chance that they may actually hear what I'm saying. Same with our spouses. Hopefully it's not as much of a battle for you. But if I can stop looking at what I am doing in order to engage with my wife, then she knows that I'm actually listening. The same is true with our relationship with God. If you want to hear what he wants to tell you, then you must remove the distractions. And there are so many shiny things in this world. But if we want to hear what God wants to tell us, we must pull away with the intention of listening. But what you hear from God is far different than what our culture tends to believe and possibly what naturally comes to you, how you feel. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. What Jesus delivers to his disciples was countercultural, And we'll spend the next six months digging into it. It went against the first century Jews' view of what it looked like to be successful or what they assumed was God's plan for their nation. Jesus starts by declaring those who are blessed. Being blessed means that one is enviable or in a fortunate position because of God's favor. This is a place that all Jews believed they were because they were descendants of Abraham. But Jesus tells them that they will be blessed if they are poor in spirit, if they are mourning, if they are meek, if they are peacemakers, if they are persecuted. He then goes on to teach about the wickedness of their hearts and new ways to approach their traditions, their enemies, prayer, money, and God himself. Jesus' teachings were most likely a bombshell in his disciples' preconceptions of their identity and how they were created to live. And in his words are just as countercultural for us today. Think about the culture we live in it's one that wholeheartedly believes in the power of the individual. That through hard work, perseverance, and drive, a person can create a fortunate or a blessed life. Blessings do not come through humility or hardship. Our culture also boldly proclaims that each person can choose their own definition of truth. And based on what they see as true, they can create their own value systems and approach to others. Over the next six months, as we study through the Sermon on the Mount, I promise you that you will be challenged. It may be in your definition of what it means to be successful. It may be in the form of conviction with your struggle with anger or lust or greed. It may challenge your views on the way you should treat those you don't like or the ways in which you prioritize money. Jesus was and still is a revolutionary. When one takes time to listen to radical ways of thinking and living, their views on what they have been taught is normal will be challenged. So why? Why would we take the time to listen to Jesus and his revolutionary approach to life. Why is it worth listening to? Let's look at more Bible. John 6, 57. I think this sums it up so well. So to give you a little context, Jesus is just in the height of his ministry and he's starting to teach things that are a little bit controversial. Here he's telling the metaphor of you must eat my body and drink my blood if you want to be alive. You want to have eternal life. And it's really shaking people's boats. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that, which your ancestors ate. Talking about manna and they died. But the one who eats his bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh, your mindset, your culture is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you, there are some who do not believe skipping a few verses, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I encourage you to go back and read this, meditate upon it, specifically Peter's answer. With the Sermon on the Mount, before we get fixated on the challenging commands and the debate between living under law and grace, which I'd love to get into with you guys, we must first elevate our eyes to the law giver. Like Peter said, where else could we go? You have the words of life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Paul in Colossians 1 gives such a summative statement of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. Boom. The firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Man, please go back and meditate on this. Jesus is God. Think about that, who God is. Jesus is God. He is the author and creator of all life. He's also the sustainer of life. Without him, we would not have been created nor continue to have life. He is also the reason why we have a direct relationship with God the Father. Through his willing sacrifice, we have utter and complete forgiveness of all things selfish and have been completely reconciled to the almighty maker of everything. When we start here with the lawgiver, we will be far more willing to take the time to listen. When we look to the one who is giving us these commands, we will be, be we will better understand that they are for our good. Even though they challenge us, even though they're countercultural, they are for our good. As we study through what people call the new law There will be sections that will seem to be completely out of reach because they are. But when we take time to contemplate who Jesus is and what he accomplished through his death for mankind, then we will know that we will never be judged by the law, that regardless of how many times we fail, we are still fully righteous or perfect before God. But God's grace doesn't stop with forgiveness. It continues on to empower us. Through the power of the Spirit living within us, we are being transformed from broken to whole. From people constantly overcome by anger, lust, greed, fear, bitterness, right? selfishness, to a people that are gaining more and more victory over our brokenness because of the power of God within us transforming us. Jesus gave and continues to give us instructions on how to better live and then empowers us to live it out so that we can experience the abundant life. And for me, I've defined the abundant life as a life full of contentment and purpose, the two things that overall we all want. But in order to receive any of this goodness, we have to be willing to be his disciples. To lay aside our own agendas and preconceived notions of what our days should look like in order to follow Jesus as he leads. By doing this, you're not becoming a part of a religious system built on man-made rules. Rather, you are being led by the one who made you into the life that he designed you to have. I want to leave you with a verse. This is the last verse in the Sermon on the Mount, the last thing Jesus says. I think he sums up so well why we should pay attention to what he's saying. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell. And great was its fall. The wind, the rain, the floods, that's the brokenness of this world. You are alive long enough, you will experience so much of the brokenness of this world. But if we come and listen to Jesus, if we adhere to his teachings and we trust the Spirit to lead us into living them out, it does not matter what this world brings to you. You will stay strong because you are founded on the rock of Christ himself the musicians are going to come up and initially they're going to play some instrumental music for us. And while they do this, I encourage you to think about the opportunity we have to come before God himself to find out the best ways for us to live. It's an opportunity like no other. We are alive for such a short amount of time on this earth and God so desperately wants to show you the best way for you to live. All it requires is for us to get still with the intention of listening and applying it to our lives.